Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Bruce Backman away this week on assignment. And what a week it's been. In fact, it's one of the more or one of the most extraordinary weeks in politics uh, that just about anybody can think of. Just momentous in a sense of what went on and what is essentially still going on with regard uh, to the political world, the extraordinary nature of it. Uh, Number one, let's just start from the top chronologically. Well, chronologically, we're in the midst of the impeachment trial, and now that impeachment trial is now over. Uh, So that was kind of the overarching piece of it. But in the meantime, uh, yes, you did have the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll leave it at that. The dueling, I think for the first time that I can remember, political ads in the Super Bowl that happened on Sunday. And I think for what it's worth, it's worth me- it's worth mentioning for a second just to kind of uh, appreciate how politics is being uh, totally upended, how the traditional ways of campaigning, of presidential campaigning are being upended, how the money, the extraordinary amount of money coming in to the political system to presidential campaigns or being spent, in a sense, not coming in in Mike Bloomberg's case, but actually just being spent is changing or rewriting the rules of the game. So that was Sunday, and we'll get back to that. Monday, the Iowa caucuses. Uh, On the Republican side, it was kind of boring. Uh, President Trump, actually, they apparently they had a very decent turnout. People don't realize there was a Republican caucus as well. Uh, There has to be. You have to elect. In many cases, you got to run a primary. Not every state needs to do it, but many of the states have rules that they actually have to have a primary. And in order to elect delegates to the convention, in order to have a formal nominating process. Remember, these are all legal processes. All these things that go on in the course of the presidential election are legal processes that happen. You can't just get on the ballot. There are actually rules for getting on the ballot. There are rules for being the nominee of your party in order for that to happen. And you have to follow all those rules. A lot of paperwork involved, a lot of lawyers involved. A lot of time is consumed by following these rules. So Republicans had to turn out. And I think President Trump won 97% of that Republican caucus vote. Uh, Yes, there are Republicans who are challenging the president. Uh, We don't hear much about them. They haven't caused uh, much in the way of static even. So we won't actually talk about them here today. But what really uh, has scrambled the political world, and not that uh, in a in a very meaningful way, and probably possibly possibly altered the political calendar and altered all future presidential elections is the epic fail, and I mean epic to the tune of just uh, historical failure of the Democratic Party of Iowa to report its results from the caucuses, or even to hold. In some cases, apparently, the caucuses themselves were quite messy, but to report the results from the caucuses in a timely fashion so that everybody, of course, was sitting there waiting for results on Monday night, breathlessly, live shows, 
trying to assess where the Democratic field would be or where it was going because it's very muddled and very unclear. And what are we left with? It's even more muddled and it's even more unclear. As things shake out now, and remember, we are Thursday morning. We still don't have, I think it's about 97% in at the latest count that I've seen. 97%. It's taking them three days to do that. Pete Buttigieg is ahead in the delegate count. Remember, we're electing delegates here. It's not just the popular vote. It's also a caucus. And that has happened. Uh, sorry. So Pete Buttigieg ahead. Bernie Sanders ahead in the popular vote because they're reporting that now as well. You kind of had this electoral college thing on a mini basis. Uh, so, And then Elizabeth Warren in a distant third. Joe Biden... In fourth, they were hoping for second. Maybe they were, maybe they won't. Everybody wants to tramp down expectations. Amy Klobuchar, not far behind in fifth position. I want to get back to that in a second as well. Tuesday, Tuesday, the State of the Union. And the president stayed on teleprompter, stayed on message. This was, uh, in some ways, a very very impressive speech on his part, certainly very far removed from what we usually get from the campaign rallies. And he touted a lot of accomplishments. And if you're listening to this speech, you're thinking, I could vote for this guy for four more years because of all these great things. And he turned it into a show, awarded Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom during it, had a reunion of a army family during the speech, awarded a scholarship to a young inner city girl so she can go to a better school. These all happened during the speech, kind of unprecedented there. We also had the absolutely astounding, stupefying breach of decorum I would say, by both the president and the Speaker of the House, who is technically the hostess of the evening. The speech takes place in the House chamber. And the president failed to shake Nancy Pelosi's hand when giving the speech. I know some people say it's unclear whether he saw her. Uh, It's pretty clear that he saw her. You can freeze frame it away. Um. You know, he kind of had this maneuver to put the speech in her hand that she was trying to shake, but then she put out her hand again anyway, refused to shake it. And then she tore up the speech at the end. We'll get back to that in a second. Wednesday. I mean, these are just momentous days. Wednesday, we had the acquittal of the President of the United States in the Senate chamber. Some people say, oh, it's not an acquittal. It wasn't a real trial. Well, that's the procedure. That's the rules. That's how it is. I think we all know he was never going to be removed from office. This was somewhat of a waste of time. Again, a political exercise. And it's interesting. I want to step back and give you my analysis of that at the end of what this trial meant. But the one extraordinary moment that we had, the one historical moment, is there was one senator who broke party lines or 
who broke with his party, and that was Mitt Romney, in a, I thought, a very meaningful speech and very appropriately reasoned and thoughtful and personal speech, voted to convict the president. None of the Democrats that we expected, potentially one, two, three, Doug Jones, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, some of these red state Democrats with tough elections coming up, particularly Doug Jones in Alabama, but Joe Manchin, a state that the president carried, uh, he doesn't have a re-election coming up, but that's a state the president carried by 40 points. And none of them voted against impeachment or against removal. But Mitt Romney voted for removal on one count and gave a very moving speech essentially about putting country, about putting the Constitution, about putting his personal faith ahead of party. And it was a it was a moving speech. Uh, whether or not you feel it was self-serving, whether or not you feel that Mitt Romney was getting back or having his revenge, I don't know. I don't think so because he didn't really doesn't really have much power to do anything to President Trump except for be there. But he talked about himself as a footnote in history and that he's just one vote among many and therefore he had to vote his conscience. And I think a lot of people a lot of elected officials in general, up and down the chain, from the highest to the lowest, should pause often and think about, not. it's not just about team, it's not just about party, it's not just about expediency, it's not just about the next election, it's also about the oath that you take to serve. And it's not judgment. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't have. My opinion has been pretty clear that this should not have been an impeachment. This should not have been impeachable. This was the subject to of congressional oversight. Should have been done. If there was more out there, the House should have made sure it came to light. They should have subpoenaed John Bolton. They should have taken the time to do the right investigation. Uh, I certainly think there were tremendous shortcomings on the House. Was what the president did inappropriate? I think so. I think it was wrong. I think it crossed some lines. I think... I don't I think it's unseemly. I don't like the idea of unelected, I'm sorry, unappointed freelancers um, as much as I do like Rudy or did like Rudy or I'm not sure. Don't like the idea of him out there running his own foreign policy. Sometimes against the interests of the people of the, of the United States. But having said all that, again, that's the subject for hearings. That's the subject for a Benghazi-type hearing. That's the subject for an Iran-Contra-type hearing. I mean, all this stuff, if you want to take it to its worst degree, I don't think rose to the level that you would remove the president of her office in an election year in order to do that. This was purely political. And because the Democrats made it purely political, I think the Republicans came back and made it purely political. So that's the week that we had. And it's it's an extraordinary week that happened. And it's just a mess of our political system right now. As we kind of lurch towards November of 2020, till we lurch towards the election of re-election or potential re-election 
of President Trump. So let's get back to Sunday. And let, why do I mention the Super Bowl ads? And why is this significant? So we have Mike Bloomberg, who is writing a new playbook for how to play in the in any in any presidential primary process spending copious amounts of money just an incredible amount of money with this idea that there will be a lane that he will be essentially the centrist candidate for the democratic party but at the same time really running anti-president trump ads and he was willing to spend to drop him 11 million dollars it's 11 million dollars on an ad in the super bowl and this turned out to be an anti-gun ad um I don't know. I, I, I didn't love it. I like a lot of the Bloomberg ads. I don't think this one was good. I thought the pre- President Trump's ad was better. But in true Trumpian fashion and a true Trump campaign fashion, they decided that they were going to match him. Essentially, they were going to go toe to toe and they were going to have their own ad. Actually, I think it was two ads at the end. And I don't think either one of them were particularly great. I thought the Trump ad was a little bit better. Uh, I like, you know, they do a great job with the visuals and with the video and with the kind of inspirational uh, piece of this. But, but I say this, the fact that they were ads during the Super Bowl, they were dropping so much money into this single medium. I mean, how many staffers or how many people can you hire? How many Facebook ads can you run? How many targeted ads can you run? This is a totally untargeted ad running to millions of people, many of whom will probably not vote, many of whom it's way too early to start thinking about politics. These are not the political junkies watching the Super Bowl on a Sunday night tuning in to these ads. You have to question the return on investment for that much money going into a single ad in the Super Bowl. You also see that the Trump campaign is not willing to give any ground, and they are definitely nervous about the potential for being swamped financially by a Bloomberg candidacy, where reports are that he will spend a billion dollars in order to keep President Trump for being president, uh, for being reelected. And why do I say to keep him from being reelected? Because really what the Bloomberg strategy, or at least they've said, is that even if he is not the nominee, they will spend to support the Democratic candidate. Now, I'm not sure that that will extend to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who would seem to have economic policies that are diametrically opposed to the to Mike Bloomberg-type capitalism. But who knows? We shall see. And he's there waiting in the wings, essentially, for a Joe Biden stumble. And now to Monday, the Joe Biden stumble actually happened. Although... Because of the muddled results, Joe Biden is probably the luckiest guy of the week. Comes in fourth. National frontrunner comes in fourth in Iowa. Seems to have a very poor organization. The one stat that I saw, which was quite incredible, is that he lost votes on the second round in Iowa. In a caucus, the way these things work is everybody lines up. And they have a first round, and they determine which candidates are not viable, and they basically have a second round once the unviable candidates, the non-viable candidates who don't hit 15%, they have to actually reallocate, or they can leave. And for some reason, in uh, quite a few cases, Joe Biden got fewer votes on the second time, meaning some of his people actually defected, even though he was viable. 
The interesting thing, of course, here as well is that Bernie Sanders barely improved from first round to second round, according to statistics that I've seen. But Pete Buttigieg would improve six, seven points at a time. Could be that a lot of the Biden people, who may be similar to in outlook to Buttigieg people, saw that Pete was doing well and they wanted to be with him. So who knows if that's the case, but there's a, but the fact is that the report, the results were not reported. Everybody was waiting around. We didn't even get preliminary results until Tuesday afternoon. And even by Wednesday, it was not all in. And that has been the big story coming out of Iowa, not the fact that Joe Biden tanked. Now, where does Joe Biden go from here? Does Kenny win New Hampshire? It doesn't look likely. Bernie Sanders kind of had this lock on New Hampshire. Um for a while being neighboring Vermont and and Elizabeth Warren is from neighboring Massachusetts. A very tough road for Biden in that in that case. Nevada hasn't been his state, so now it's on to South Carolina and Super Tuesday. And can he make the case to his donors and to his campaign that he is viable and should be doing that? So we will see. We will see. It's hard to know exactly where the Democratic field goes from here. And we could be headed to this brokered convention type of thing where we get to the summer and nobody has the enough delegates to do because a lot of candidates decide they're going to stay in the race. A lot of times what happens after Iowa is a couple candidates drop out. So far, nobody's dropping out because of the results and because they're so muddled because nobody knows who won, who lost, and what place they came in. So we can see candidates just deciding, okay, I'm going to stay in. And what happens after New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, Super Tuesday? We don't know. Will this Mike Bloomberg strategy work? Can it happen? And it's, it's, it's extremely hard to say. The one, Another interesting footnote from Iowa is also how well Amy Klobuchar did. They have her at 13%. She was in single digits. She was actually at nothing quite a while ago. And she seems to have surged probably at Joe Biden's expense as well. Plus the fact, plus the fact she had spent time in Washington during the impeachment trial, critical time in rural retail Iowa. Okay. Now on to Tuesday for the State of the Union. So when I talk about the extraordinary breach of decorum, I mean, there's two things here that we should be thinking about. There's the country, and then there's politics. And for some reason, nowadays, there just seems to be no distinction between the two of them. And it's all like a team sport right now. And you saw it in spades, in spades, at the State of the Union, which is supposed to be a night of pomp and circumstance and formality and protocol. There's an order to the way people walk in. There's a ceremonial aspect to it. And that was kind of thrown aside by a couple things. Number one, uh, the president doesn't shake Nancy Pelosi's hand. Okay, we'll look at that. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, why? Why not? It's easy. Just do it. It's part of the thing. She is elected the Speaker of the House. You might not like it, but she is the Speaker of the House. That's it. She extended her hand. You didn't shake it. Fine. The four more years chant by the Republicans. I understand it's a reaction to the impeachment. I understand it's a reaction to everything that's gone on. And I understand why people might be bitter 
and upset about what has been happening in our politics. If you're a Republican in particular and you voted for Donald Trump to have to have the House of Representatives, to have the Democrats trying to negate that vote uh, is uh, is is politically insulting. But at the same time, that's not the right forum for the four more years chant at the same time time there were democrats who refused to stand up and clap even for things that are should be bipartisan should be things we should support and then the tearing up of the speech in full view when you knew everything was going to be it's petty i will say i do think it was a power move on her part i do think you you know we have this kind of standard that donald trump can pay play to his base but nobody else can nancy pelosi was playing to her base who's her constituency it's the members of the house of representatives it's the conference that elects her as speaker. And that conference is clearly angry. They're clearly frustrated. They're clearly annoyed. They're clearly upset. And she gave voice to that for them. So I think it's quite, uh, it's really something that that happened. But gone is the idea that we are all here for a common purpose. It's all about the team sport right now. It's all about Democrats and Republicans picking sides and sticking to those sides and helping their team necessarily as opposed to the country. I'm not saying everybody feels that way, but sometimes you got to feel, everyone, that it's all about the team. I, I am really still surprised about some Democrats who ended up supporting impeachment, That and it's politically costly for them. Although... Let's say in the end, this is all about fundraising and probably know that the base fundraising, there are very few people who give to the other side these days who cross the line and will say, OK, I'm going to give to you. You're Republican, even though I'm a I'm a Democrat and vice versa. So if you're hoping to fundraise and you fundraise nationally, it's not going to happen if you buck the party on some of these issues. That's, of course, why that makes the Mitt Romney vote so uh, extraordinary. And so historical. Of course, uh, that is just the prelude to what happened on Wednesday at the impeachment vote. We all knew that President Trump was not going to be removed. The only asterisk there was a couple, was several Democrats who we thought would potentially vote to acquit. And Mitt Romney, who was the lone Republican who was still on the fence. And I thought Mitt Romney would kind of fall in line and give a speech reprimanding the president, maybe even calling for censure, and some of them would have done that. And I think had the Democrats probably pushed for censure to begin with, that probably would have been a uh, more appropriate remedy and probably more politically viable, but they didn't do that. But I thought he would do that. I did not think that he was going to vote to impeach, but he gave an extraordinary speech uh, talking about the oath he takes before God and being a religious person. And me, as a religious and the audience out there, as religious people, that should resonate a little bit. Does, even if you disagree with the conclusion, you have to respect the idea that he brought his faith into the discussion. Uh, it's something in short supply these days. And I think it's really important for us to think about. And the idea that he had this personal conscience that he had to recognize. Now, of course... The savagery, the political Twitter verse is out there savaging Mitt Romney. Donald Trump Jr., instead of letting it sit and, and saying this is just one guy we want anyway, take your victories and go home, call for Mitt Romney to be expelled, which I think is 
I, I if you don't think I, I hate to say it, but if you think that it's wrong to remove the president, then what about the say of the people of the state of Nevada? I'm not Nevada. I'm sorry, the state of Utah who elected Mitt Romney, and I yeah I don't want to negate their votes. Um, you know, people are allowed to vote how they want. That's part of the American system. So I think that is. And, you know, we're not in a parliamentary system. Everybody has to impose party discipline. We are in a system where everybody gets elected. They stand on their own. And they have to face the voters. In this case, they might have to fa face the voters. And Mitt Romney said, well, I'm going to face the voters. But he's not facing them this year. And he's not facing them next year. And not facing them for another four years. And Utah, of course, is a state, uh, the most re Republican state in the, in the country, but also one that did not vote for Donald Trump in large numbers. They might again, they might do it so this year um, for, for a number of reasons, but we will get to that. So having said all that, uh, it's just an extraordinary week in politics, extraordinary week in our understanding of politics. And the what it comes down to is we know so little about what's going to happen over the coming weeks and the coming primaries, Iowa has given us absolutely no clarity, uh, just more muddled, a muddled political mess. But that's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Knockham Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Bye-bye.